Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills the marketeers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. To ensure marketeers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Today's podcast is a leadership podcast, and shortly I'll be welcoming today's guest, Chris Hurst, onto the podcast to discuss his approach to leadership, titled The No Bullshit Leadership Approach, which is outlined in his book. His book helps you to find your role as a leader, defining where you are leading others to and how to get there, and the role that culture plays in making effective decisions to build a world-class team, whilst also ensuring that you take care of yourself, looking at the energy and resilience to lead others and achieve results, leading yourself and the change ahead. For me, leadership today is no small ask. However, as we discuss in today's podcast, leadership isn't just for the elite few that have senior roles or have been trained at specialist business schools. Whether you manage one or 100, it's important that you step into your role as a leader at all levels to be great for the marketeers in your care. I believe you don't have to have manager or director in your title to lead. Whether you are leading a project, a campaign, a cross-functional team, a brand, a business or a board, we are all responsible in leading and allowing the role of marketing to truly lead the organization. Today's guest is Chris, having spent over a decade in CEO positions, including most recently as global CEO for Havas Creative Group. Once an engineering graduate working in a glass factory, his career path has taken him to the boardroom via Harvard Business School. Chris is a regular commentator in national press, including BBC News, The Financial Times and Sky News. His first book, No Bullshit Leadership, won Business Book of the Year in 2020. And his new book, No Bullship Change, is due to be published in May 2023. Chris, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, as with the Whole Marketer podcast, we always start with a big, juicy question. And today's big, juicy question is, what is being a leader to you? Question, when I wrote my book, because I thought if I'm going to write a book on leadership, I have to be clear for myself, first of all, and then I guess share that opinion with my readers as to what a leader and what leadership is. So I have a far broader definition of what a leader is, I think, than we typically accept, I suppose, as a society. For me, a leader is anybody that has people they're responsible for, whether that be four people or 40,000 people. And so by that definition, the majority of leaders are not the people we usually think of when we think of leaders. We typically will think of CEOs or generals or dot-com billionaires or what have you. But in actual fact, by that definition, there are in the UK alone, never mind the rest of the world, hundreds of thousands of people in leadership positions. And those people, whether you have four people or 40,000 people, the people you are directly responsible for in a work context, or let's say in an organization, because it might be a sports team, whatever. But in the context of that organization, you are the most important person in those people's lives within that organization. And yet the vast majority of people in those positions don't think of themselves as leaders and nor are they thought of and treated as leaders by the organizations they work within. And fundamentally, this is just a huge missed opportunity for everybody. It's a missed opportunity for the organizations they're in. All organizations will perform better if they have better, more effective leaders. I believe
believe that understanding what leadership is, is one of the routes, at least, to, to personal career satisfaction. And also, it's a missed opportunity for the people that work for them. Because one of the most effective ways for you to have a great career is for you to work for a great leader. It's a really interesting viewpoint, Chris, around whether that's four or 400 people. Because I also think there's many times in which we may not be giving a management title, as you say, a CEO or a managing director, but we are also responsible for leading maybe teams or cross-functional working groups. And that itself requires the same behaviours as a leader without necessarily having that management title. It's still, as you say, the people that you are responsible for, or as I say, that are in your care. And for me, It really is important that we take the responsibility of being a great leader, because as you say, one of the benefits of having a great leader is the benefit it has to you in your own personal development. Do you think enough energy is given to people really taking that kind of responsibility of being a leader? Do you mean them individually or do you mean the organisation building a kind of a culture that develops great leadership? I think both. (laughs) Well, no to both is the answer. If you think of a leader as anybody that has people they're responsible for, whether it be four or 40,000, that means that for the majority of us, we actually are in leadership positions from quite early in, in our careers. If I look at myself, you know, I probably had some small number of people working for me within 18 months of starting work. And yet, you know, I, I didn't see myself as a leader and the organization I worked within didn't treat me or talk about me or think about me as a leader. And yet, you know, I was the most important person from a work context for, in the lives of the people that worked for me, which is crazy when you think about it, how inexperienced I was. I think one of the things I wanted to do with the book was to sort of puncture this idea that leadership is a sort of a secret knowledge available only to a chosen few, and that you don't have to have sat around a boardroom table, gone to a fancy business school, walked the corridors of Whitehall to understand what leadership is, or indeed in order to be a leader. And I think there's a whole industry, what I call in the book, the leadership industrial complex. There's a whole industry that sets itself up to complexify the subject, if you like, if complexify is a word. And they make billions and billions of pounds or dollars from doing so. And of course, they do that because they, you know, hey, guess what? Leadership's this incredibly complicated, difficult thing opened only to a chosen few. Therefore, come to us and we'll help you learn how to do it. First of all, most of what they're selling us and telling us is just snake oil, but it has two baleful real world consequences. First of all, it inhibits people who are already in leadership positions. And as I've just established, in my opinion, there are many, many more of those than we typically expect. It inhibits those people from fulfilling their potential. And secondly, perhaps even worse, it excludes whole swathes of society from believing that leadership is ever something that they could aspire to. And I'm adamant that there is no leadership type. I think leadership is something that can be taught and learnt. It's a skill like any skill that can be improved with the right application, with the right guidance and with hard work. I genuinely think that leadership is the problem and the solution. When organisations have challenges, that be in your small team or the whole company or the whole organisation, if you pick away at it for long enough, at the heart of that problem is always leadership. And the only solution to that is better leadership in one shape or form. And so I think that all organizations and all individuals would benefit from a clearer understanding of what leadership is and how to do it well. What I'm hearing is that in order for us to really, truly harness the benefits of leadership, we need to acknowledge that leadership is broader than just at that more senior level. 
it's everyone that has responsibility for people in their care. And that if we stop deeming it as something that only happens at the more senior level, then more people have the benefits of having great leaders. Therefore, they'll have greater, more fulfilling careers. They'll fulfill their potential. They'll feel that leadership is something that they can aspire to very easily. So to your point, you know, within the first 18 months entering the working world, if you took your role as a line manager, as a leadership position, then it's something that you're naturally doing and not something that only the great can achieve, having all of these magical snake oil philosophies that only the chosen few can adopt. And it is, of course, something that can be taught and learned, which I couldn't agree more with. So I can sense the fire within to make leadership the way it's perceived and simplify it for the masses within you. What is that fire? Where did it start? What's driven you to be so passionate about the leadership space? I can't really put my finger on a single moment. There was an event I was invited to speak at, quite an informal event, and I was I was asked to do a presentation on leadership, a 20-minute presentation on leadership. And like a lot of people asked to do presentations, I waited till the day before to think about what I was going to say. And at the same time, I discovered that... I actually was one of three people that had been asked to speak about leadership and I was in the middle. And so suddenly I thought, not only have I got to work out what I'm going to say, but second of all, it's kind of become competitive because there's two other people going to be speaking Mm. about leadership as well. So I've got to, how do I say something that isn't just the same old blah, blah. And I, I did that presentation and it went okay. But it was that moment of how do I find a way of thinking about it and talking about it that isn't just the same regurgitating the same old stuff. I suppose that was the catalyst is too strong a word, but was the beginning of the journey. Let's put it that way, perhaps. And it was then it was then in that process of sitting and thinking and working out for myself, well, what really is leadership? By this point, you know, I was a CEO of a three or 400 person business by that point. So I had quite a lot of responsibility. I had a title that is a title we typically associate with leadership. But what was interesting was, looking back, I didn't think this at the time, but what was interesting looking back was I hadn't really thought about what my view on leadership was until that point. And I think that's quite a typical experience for people. I would say the vast majority of people in leadership positions, even senior leadership positions, don't spend a lot of time if any time, actually thinking about, well, what actually do I think leadership is? What do I think good leadership and bad leadership is? What is my leadership philosophy? And my greatest challenge, let's say, in the book is that everybody who's in a leadership position should begin to develop their own leadership philosophy. And I, of course, would love it if they all agreed with mine, what I've expressed in my book. But that isn't the most important thing. The most important thing is not that you agree with me. The most important thing is you spend time, if you don't agree with me, working out what yours is and what it isn't. And I think only by doing can you be an effective leader over the long term. And yes, you know, some people, like anything, like any skill, a musical instrument, a sport, you know, some people, a tiny, tiny percentage of people just have some sort of natural ability, but the vast majority don't at anything, you know, and even those that do still have to practice and learn and work hard. So I think what's most important is that you understand what your leadership philosophy is. And I suppose what I set about doing in a kind of an organic process was working out what mine was in writing the book. I couldn't agree more. I don't think enough people 
take the time and create the space to really think about what type of leader do they want to be? What do they want to be known for? What do they believe is important? You know, what's that legacy that they want to leave behind? All of those things, because listening to you, you know, in a CEO role being asked, what is leadership to you? And you're like, ah, right. Okay. I'm going to be sandwiched between two other people who are going to have two different viewpoints and almost being forced on the spot to really think about what leadership is to you. We don't take enough time or put enough importance on it. And I often say that people arrive in leadership roles having only experienced the people that have managed or led them before. And that may have been a positive experience. There's bits that you want to replicate. There may be a negative experience. So, you know, there's the opposite of what you want to replicate, but it's often not given the headspace to really think about, so what is leadership to me? What does it mean to me? What are my values that I want to replicate? What's the legacy I want to leave behind? What are the key pillars of, as you say, your philosophy that people will always feel when they are with me, around me? How am I going to inspire those in my care so that they will indeed want to be part of the journey and that kind of followship versus leadership debate that always happens? And what's clear is that, you know, you took the time, Chris, to think about what leadership means to you in the creation of no bullshit leadership. So what is no bullshit leadership? Well, it kind of is what it says on the tin. If I'm honest with you, I think that leadership is difficult, but it's not complicated. Mm. And I think that there is a whole industry, business schools, books, training programs, consultants, blah, 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 who set about trying to tell us that it is extremely complicated. And so first and foremost, what I wanted to do was just kind of wipe away some of that bullshit. For me, leadership, we talked about my definition of a leader. Anybody that has people that they are responsible for is a leader, wherever that is. My definition of leadership is the navigation of a group of people from a defined place in the present to a different and clearly defined place in the future. Leadership is all about movement and leadership is all about change. And so that is what leadership is. Now, it it could be movement and change. There's lots and lots and lots of infinite amount of ways to defining what that movement and change is. Of course, in a business sense, typically thing we jump to is, you know, money, but there are many, many other ways as well. That could be cultural change. That could be the performance of a sports team in a league, that could be the performance of a department at a school, a ward in a hospital, and so on and so forth. But leadership is never about the simple maintenance of the status quo. If we think about it in a business context, for example, quite often we think about businesses as existing in three stages. If you do business planning and stuff like that, you'll talk about a business going down, a business going kind of flat, if you like, (laughs) and a business going up. Typically, it'll exist in one of the three phases. For me, there aren't three phases. There's only two. There's down or there's up. And whatever up means to you, that's what leadership is about achieving. That doesn't mean, of course, if everybody in a leadership position has experienced their periods of going down, but over the medium to long term, effective leaders navigate people from defined places in the present to a different and clearly defined state that exists in the future. And that state is, of course, a state that they themselves as leaders and possibly in conjunction with their team have defined. That's what I think no bullshit leadership is. And but the leadership bit is not defining the start and the end. My argument is those things are pretty easy, even though often we're told that they're not. They are pretty easy. The difficult bit for leaders of all levels of seniority and experience and in all different organizations is the getting between those two states. That's what leadership is. And that's where leaders lead to focus their energy. And on focusing that energy, one of the things that I really loved in your book is that you do talk about the realities of the everyday leadership's need for energy, resilience, taking care Mm. of yourself, your feelings, emotions, the need for that relentless, continuous improvement. 
why is it not acknowledged the realities of being a leader by everyone that works around them? The honest answer to that is I don't know. And I will give you my opinion, by the way. But what I did try and do in the book is is try and sort of stay to places that I felt that I could speak authoritatively on and mm. to an extent not get drawn into areas that I could have a point of view on, but that I felt like I wasn't the other people better placed than I to give you the answers. Nevertheless, I would say I have two broad observations on that. The first is that I think partly it's not that people don't care. I think that we've all got so much of our own shit to deal with (laughs) that we inevitably spend you know a large chunk of our time dealing with our own shit before we get to other people's that's the human condition i don't say that in a bad way even the most giving and generous people you know nevertheless they've got their own stuff they have to deal with but i think the second is that your observation doesn't just apply to the challenges of leadership i think that we as human beings aren't yet that great at having conversations with each other about how we feel, how we ourselves feel. Saying to somebody else, what you have done makes me feel the following. We aren't necessarily that good at doing that. And similarly, we aren't good at doing the opposite in having conversations with somebody else about how they feel. I mean, this is a very almost trivializing a complicated subject, but I think those ineffective, I always think in effective cultures, we haven't talked about culture yet, but effective cultures are very good at having effective conversations with each other. That is one of the defining characteristics of a great culture. It's able to have important, difficult conversations within itself. And I think one of the, possibly one of the reasons for the challenge you flagged is that certainly in an organizational context, the culture doesn't make those conversations very easy to have. And also, I think having those sort of conversations can often be very personal. Some people are very happy to, if asked, to talk about how they feel. Other people aren't very happy to talk about how they feel, you know. So there's not a sort of a one-size-fits-all approach to dealing with those sort of things But when it comes to the more personal challenges of leadership. But I think, nevertheless, in an ineffective cultures, leaders should strive to create an environment where people are able to have honest, respectful, and I think respect is really important, but honest and respectful conversations with each other about all sorts of difficult subjects of which that can for some people be one. That's probably the best I've got, to be honest with you, because I think that's a really complicated area. It is a complicated area, but maybe less complicated when you take it to the level when you outline in your book around taking care of yourself and others. Yes. We all need to be taking care of ourselves and others, you know, making headspace to think about what kind of leader we want, making headspace to be able to think about how our energy levels are or things that are bothering us, whether inside of work or outside of work, to your point, you know, the shit that we're carrying, we've all got what we've mm-hmm. got. And all of those things take headspace and energy when there's potentially an expectation, depending on the organization, you know, this is not a sweeping statement, on the delivery, on the management, on the pressures of the day to day. And We all need to take better care of ourselves. But what I loved in your book was that you gave some practical explanations around what you could take better care of yourself. And that was the first time I'd seen in any leadership book so far that focus. Yeah, I mean, I think there's taking care of yourself and there's how others are interacting with you. Certainly, of course, ourselves, then we should be able to be honest with ourselves, whether everybody is, we can have a whole conversation about that as well, to be honest with you. But <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I think that leaders, like I said, whether that's somebody who's got a relatively small number of people they're responsible for or a large number, people in those positions need to understand. And the organization in developing them as leaders needs to understand that it is a, at times, very rewarding 
role, but at times it's a very difficult because all humans are different. Those difficulties manifest in different ways. One person's difficulty is not a challenge at all for other people, but everybody has their own challenges. And you have to be aware that's going to come along. You have to have a plan, I think, to look after yourself. You know, I think a leader to an extent is the team's energy resource of last resort. But at times you have to, if necessary, and those times will be necessary sometimes, you have to be the person that says, come on, we're going to stand up, we're going to go again. You know, we can't give up. And sometimes that requires a huge degree of emotional and even perhaps physical energy and resilience to do so. Even the most resilient people, even the most energetic people, even the best leaders have a finite amount of Mm. emotional and physical energy. And you have to be aware of that. You have to find your own way. You have to accept that sometimes you will have to draw down on your energy resources. That comes with the territory. But you also have to understand, and I think organizations have to understand, that for people to perform at their best, they have to find time and space and ways to recharge as well. I know that sounds glaringly obvious, but I know in the past I haven't done that. I know in the past I've worked with lots and lots of people. I'd be surprised if anybody listening to this could say, I've never found myself in a place where I haven't recharged enough, where I haven't felt exhausted, drained, perhaps worse. And you know, at the end of the day, you have to have a plan for yourself for how you're going to do that in order well, frankly, so you don't get ill, but also so that you can continue to be an effective leader, which presumably is something that you want to be and enjoy doing. Definitely. I couldn't agree more. And I think having the personal understanding to understand what gives you energy so you can fill that cup up, but also what takes away from your energy. So you're almost kind of like that credit debit, I always think of it as. Coins the jar, I think, was the analogy that a previous podcast guest, Ian Hepburn, had mentioned was, you know, those coins in the jar. If you're going to take coins from the jar, what are you putting in? And that takes a level of personal understanding to know how you fill that cup up, what activities you need to do to do that, what you don't need to do if you're someone who just needs some time on your own, whether that's things that play to your values, whether that's things that make your soul come to life. You know, it's all of that being able to understand your energy levels. And I think also to your point, the acknowledgement that sometimes we do need to dig deep, but we need to dig deep from a place that has that energy and reserve and that correlation between the two. I also love what you said there about, you know, creating an environment where you can have honest and respectful conversations. And I think what's really clear throughout this conversation, but also within the book is the importance of the culture that sits within that organization in which you are being a leader within and it being much more than just the values that an organization state on their website and being much more an environment in which facilitates and allows high-performing teams to develop, but also individuals to be able to have those honest and respectful conversations. I'd love for you to share with the listeners a little bit more about the role that you believe culture plays in the space of leadership. Well, the more that I think about it, I wrote a chapter on culture and no bullshit leadership. I just finished my second book on change and I found myself coming back to culture again. And I'm increasingly of the opinion that really the most important thing that great leaders do is to create a culture that allows their teams to outperform. I think if you're doing that, 
then really you're getting it pretty close to right. And certainly you're going to win more than you lose, however you define win and lose in your situation. For me, you know, culture is one of those words that sort of engenders an awful lot of eye rolling from people when you talk about it. And by the way, I've got a lot of sympathy with that because I think there's also a huge amount of bullshit talked around the subject of culture. A lot of people misunderstand what it really is. And by the culture, I'm now talking about it in an organizational sense, obviously. And I think the reason there's a lot of eye rolling and cynicism is because cynicism exists in the gap between what you say and what you do. And in many organizations, the gap between what they say they'd like the culture to be and what the actual culture is, is enormous. And I would contend that in a lot of organizations and a lot of teams, they don't have any idea at all what the actual culture is. Not really. They've never really had a conversation about what the actual culture is. They'll have some values that are, as you say, on the website or carved in a plinth in reception or whatever it is. But those values are not always, but in many, many instances, essentially total bullshit. They bear no relation to what's going on in the company at all, really. And they're sort of done for kind of something to put in the annual report. And in fact, values are quite difficult for people to interpret anyway, in terms of their day-to-day behaviours. Culture really is about behaviours. So if you're going to define a culture, it is far more effective ways to talk about it in terms of behaviours. And what is an effective culture? Well, well, culture is the environment the leader creates in order for their teams to outperform. That's how I define culture. But the more I live with it, I've come to believe it's a great way to define the leader's task because... Look at it the other way around. You know, if you're not doing that, if you're the leader, whether, again, small team or big, and you're not creating an environment for your teams to outperform, as you say, if your team did just the same, if you weren't there, then... Why are you there? You know, I mean, mean, I'm being flippant, but I'm not. I'm serious. You know, I'm. If you're, if your team, if if you're just interchangeable, if so, you could go and somebody else could just come in and everything would basically stay the same. Why are you there? Mm. And culture is an incredibly powerful incredibly powerful thing. And again, it talks to how complicated we are as human beings, all of us. And so I'll give you a real life example that we'll all be familiar with, by the way. I would often, in my previous role, I I had probably hundreds of individual businesses that reported to me. And each of those businesses had their own CEO and various other people with C in their title. I'd go and meet these leadership teams. And these leadership teams inevitably like it nearly always does, talk turns to the kind of calibre of people in their teams, the calibre of people in their organisations, and all all people in leadership positions at some point or other will find themselves moaning about some individual or other their performance. And I came to believe, though, that it's very difficult to form a sort of objective point of view on an individual's suitability and capabilities without answering two other questions first. And those two questions you have to ask is, is that person operating in an environment or culture that enables them to perform at their best? Yes or no? And second of all, is that person really, really clear what success looks like for them as an individual? What it is they are supposed to be doing? And in reality, for many of us, many people listening to this, many of the people working for the people who listen to this, the answer to both those questions is likely to be no. And 
unless the answer to both those questions is yes, that person's got no chance of performing at their best. Mm. And in fact, we, we see this all the time because this is, we might have experienced it ourselves personally. We certainly would have seen it with other people where you take the same person and you put them in team A or organization A, and then you move them to team B or organization B, and they go from hero to zero or zero to hero, whichever way around it is. We've experienced that ourselves. We've seen that with others. We see that all the time. And yet the person hasn't changed at all. The environment is what's changed. And that is the power of culture for power in a positive sense, but also power in a negative sense if the culture is poor. Also, culture isn't a homogenous thing. If you go into a big organization, you know, there will be some commonalities of culture across that organization. Okay. So if you if they have an office in the US and the UK and France and China, there will be some commonalities, but there's going to be very significant differences for all sorts of reasons, not least the local cultural differences. Mm. And then if you split those, if you go to the London office and they've got 10 teams in that London office, the culture in each of those 10 teams will be subtly different as well. And that's because the most determining factor of culture within a team of people is the leader of that team. The leader's behavior is the single biggest determinant of culture within that team, which again is why you can go to an organization and you can have within the same building, within the same organization, some teams full of very high performing, very happy, very satisfied people. And you can go to another team and you find people who are very unsatisfied, very unhappy, is very underperforming. And again, we all know this is still glaringly obvious, but that's because the culture in those teams is different and the culture in the teams is different is because the teams have different leaders. So when I talk about a leader being the most influential person in your, keep it to work, in your working life, your immediate team leader, the most important person in your working life. We really do feel it all the time. And yet most leaders do not consciously think or talk about what the actual culture is today and what they ideally would like it to be in the future. There was one thing I would encourage everybody to do. It would be to go and have honest, serious conversations about that subject right now, because you can make a huge difference to your team's performance. And then do you know what? Guess what? The best way to improve your career, your personal career, is to run a really effective, high-performing team. And running that highly effective performing team is quite yeah. clearly based on creating the right culture yeah. for you as a leader. I couldn't agree more. I'm like sat here nodding along, Chris, as I'm listening to you. And I'm also thinking about all the lessons so far that we've learned on today's podcast around, you know, anyone can be a leader. It's about the up and down. It's also calling bullshit on the fact that it's only for the selected few and it's not that complicated. You know, it's really about embracing the fact that it can be a skill that is taught and learned. I've also got notes here around make sure that you take the time to be the leader that you want to be, the importance of looking after yourself and each other, creating an environment where you can have honest and respectful conversations, but more importantly, creating an environment and a culture and a set of behaviours from you as the leader first that allows others to thrive and to grow and really to take the responsibility that comes with that and to also really take stock for yourself and face into what is the culture now and what do I want it to be and what are those behaviours and not necessarily just those values put on the website but for me value should always come with a definition so that's just a personal thing because one word can be interpreted by many different individuals in many different ways which gives it scope and flexibility but means that not everyone's always aligned so I really like the idea of focusing on the behaviours 
that really the importance that being a leader has on others' fulfillment and enjoyment in work and also the ability to really deliver between that up and down. Yes. I mean, I, I think understandably an awful lot of people you know, care deeply about how others think and how others feel, care deeply about where our society is today and how that could be improved. I fundamentally and profoundly believe the answers to all of these questions are leadership. Being able to be an effective leader is the best way for you to be able to help yourself and help others. Great leaders beget great leaders. There was some research I read that said the best way to predict whether somebody very early in their career will go on to be a high performing individual is whether or not that person worked early on in their career for a high performing individual. What great leaders do is they are great for the careers of the people that work for them. That's the difference. Great leaders, it's not just about them looking after themselves and, you know, hey, I'm okay. You know, I've achieved what I want. You know, I'm off onto the next job. Great leaders are full of teams that have high performing, highly motivated, well-led, balanced, if you like, if that's the word, people within them. And those people in turn will thrive. And whatever thrive means to them, you know, these days people have far more varied career ambitions than perhaps they did 20 or 30 years ago. But working for somebody who is an effective leader is the best way for you to be able to fulfill your own ambitions as well. I really do think it is the philosopher's stone. Leadership takes base metal and turns it into gold. Oh, I love that. Base metal and turns it into gold. So Chris, talking about career ambitions, I'd love to hear your career highs and lows. It's an interesting time for asking me that question. I would say my career high was about 20 years ago, I was hired with a group of small group of other people turn around a broken business. It was an absolutely perennially broken business. This was, it was unfixable. And we were hired by the CEO. So I was hired as his number two. And there was four, I think four of us in total. And we joined and we thought, hey, like we're all hot shots. We, we know each other. We're all great. This is going to be a breeze. You know, we're going to sort this out. And hey, guess what? You know, nemesis follows hubris, you know, and it was a disaster. The business didn't improve within a couple of years. It was pretty well only me left of that group. Six years later, I'm still there. I'm still the number two to a succession of different CEOs. And I thought, you know, I've kind of screwed my career here. After six years, you can't be part of the solution. You have become part of the problem yourself. So really, it was a very, very low point. And I determined that I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to get out, go and do something, start again. And then I got lucky. Basically, I found myself in a position where I was able to persuade them to send me to do the advanced management program at Harvard. And that did change my life. But it, it didn't change my life in all the sort of grown up sensible ways you might expect by learning about, I don't know, ever business strategy. It changed my life because it took me away from it was in Boston for eight weeks, six days a week. And it took me away from that shitty situation where I was very down, demoralized, demotivated, lost. And it put me in a room with 160 other people, none of whom knew each other. And what it made me realize was when I walked into that room that I literally could be anybody I wanted to be. I could be anybody I wanted to be in that room. Nobody knew who I was. Nobody knew the name of the company I worked for. I could have told them it was the best company in the world and they wouldn't have known. And it was an incredibly liberating feeling that, that feeling that so much of the baggage, the things that hold us back are stories that we tell ourselves. And it is possible to tell ourselves different stories. And by telling ourselves different stories, we can become 
even if in a little way, different people. And so I think I did. And anyway, I, I then came back. And again, the short version is that within about 12 months, I got lucky again in that I did for various reasons get offered the CEO role of this company, by which point I've been there for about eight years. And at that point, I was determined that I didn't really have a clear philosophy on what leadership was. I didn't have, if I'm really honest, a huge degree of clarity about what it was we were going to do. But I did know what we weren't going to do. And I did know that we weren't going to repeat the mistakes that I'd seen made for the preceding eight years. We were going to make new mistakes all of our own. And the next three years were the most enjoyable, most exciting, most exhilarating three, four, five years of my career. We went from being a dog of a business to one of the best businesses in the UK, arguably in the world. And I suppose it was that period that I looked back on when I started to write the book in terms of both what we didn't do and what we did. So yeah, that was, I suppose maybe you could say that was the low and that was the high. The low and the high, all wrapped up into one. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Chris. And thank you so okay. much for your time on today's podcast so far. Thanks for having me. We always finish with the following question, which is what one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow? I think one of the things that's interesting about marketing and being a marketer is typically you have to deal with quite a lot of complicated people-based dynamics. Let's put it that way. You have your own teams to look after. You have the sometimes the cynicism or the skepticism, let's say, and the challenges within your own organization beyond the marketing department. You quite often will be a marketer working with agencies or you might be an agency working with clients, but either way, you're working with really important partners who work in a different organization to you, who don't work for you. So you've got quite complicated dynamics with regard to the people you're working with. And yet the best, most effective marketers, wherever they are in that milieu, set about creating an environment where the people that you interact with have the possibility of doing the best work of their lives. And I think that's about culture. How do you as a marketeer create a culture that enables the team that you're directly responsible for and the teams that you will inevitably have to work with for them to want to do their best work for you or with you? And if you create that, then I think the outcomes will look after themselves. That's a great piece of advice. And thank you again so much for your time on today's podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com.